Hi, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. This is Isaiah chapter 3. All right, our sermon from this past weekend opened up the opening chapter of Isaiah. Our curriculum this week covers Isaiah chapter 2, and so our devotions will pick up in chapter 3. Compared to other JCM series, prepare to hear more scripture per session than you typically do because I didn't want to break singular thoughts up into multiple pieces. In the same way that I would teach a gospel and I would focus on a given event or a teaching segment, I didn't want to break it up into pieces. I'm going to go through a lot of entire chapters at a time in Isaiah. Here's Isaiah chapter 3. Note this. The Lord God of armies is about to remove from Jerusalem and from Judah every kind of security, the entire supply of bread and water, heroes and warriors, judges and prophets, fortune tellers and elders, commanders of fifty and dignitaries, counselors, cunning magicians and necromancers. I will make youths their leaders and unstable rulers will govern them. The people will oppress one another, man against man, neighbor against neighbor. The young will act arrogantly toward the old and the worthless toward the honorable. A man will even seize his brother in his father's house saying, you have a cloak, you be our leader. This heap of rubble will be under your control. On that day, he will cry out saying, I'm not a healer. I don't even have food or clothing in my house. Don't make me the leader of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because they have spoken and acted against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. They look on their, uh, the look on their faces testifies against them. And like Sodom, they flaunt their sin. They do not conceal it. Woe to them, for they have brought disaster on themselves. Tell the righteous that it will go well for them, for they will eat the fruit of their labor. Woe to the wicked, it will go badly for them, for what they have done will be done to them. Youths oppress my people, and women rule over them. My people, your leaders misled you. They confuse the direction of your paths. The Lord rises to argue the case and stands to judge the people. The Lord brings this charge against the elders and leaders of his people. You have devastated the vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. Why do you crush my people and grind the faces of the poor? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The Lord also says, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty, walking with heads held high and seductive eyes, prancing along, jingling their ankle bracelets, the Lord will put scabs on the heads of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will shave their foreheads bare. On that day, the Lord will strip their finery, ankle bracelets, headbands, crescents, pendants, bracelets, veils, headdresses, ankle jewelry, sashes, perfume bottles, amulets, signet rings, nose rings, festive robes, capes, cloaks, purses, garments, linens, linen cloths, turbans, and shawls. Instead of perfume, there will be a stench. Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of beautifully styled hair, baldness. Instead of fine clothes, sackcloth. Instead of beauty, branding. Your men will fall by the sword, your warriors in battle. Then her gates will lament and mourn. Deserted, she will sit on the ground. This is God's proclamation over his own people because of their arrogance toward him. 
It's considered a mark of devastation and shame and crisis that these, like basically children, will be put in charge. And there's no qualification. It's just, hey, you have a cloak. You go rule over this thing. And by the, by the way, the thing he's ruling over is a heap of rubble. Okay, that's verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 3. He says, like, look, I'm not even a, I'm not even a leader. Don't make me the leader uh, over my people. But look, Jerusalem has stumbled. Judah has fallen because they've spoken and acted against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. So they're like... Sodom, in verse 9, it says that they flaunt their sin and they don't conceal it. Woe to them. They've brought disaster on themselves. Sodom and Gomorrah is the archetype, as we see in the New Testament as well, in Romans chapter 1, for what happens when we are left to our own devices and we are given exactly what we insist upon from God. We are then proud of our sin and we flaunt it publicly. Yes, I think this is directly analogous to a pride parade here in Seattle. We're like Sodom. We don't conceal our sin. The people of Seattle are proud of sin. In fact, as we've seen even recently in headlines, if a sports team does not also wear what's called the rainbow flag, it's actually the most obvious sense of appropriation I've ever seen, a symbol of God's covenant not to flood the earth anymore, if that's used to symbolize solidarity and an endorsement of same-sex actions, right, uh, of homosexual activities, if you don't brandish this flag with us, then you're a bigot and you're fired. This is compelled speech. This is not free speech. This is compelled speech. It's like, you now endorse this cause. And if you don't, watch out, we're coming for you. <laughs> it's like Soviet tactics, <laughs> but it's real and it's happening in America. We're no longer ashamed of our sin as a culture. We no longer try to cover it up. We're very proud of it. And this is what God says to such cultures. All right, I know there's something else that's sticking out as well in this, that youths oppress my people, verse 12, and women rule over them. My people, your leaders mislead you. They confuse the direction of your paths. Since Eden, it's been proclaimed, your will will be to your husband, yet he will rule over you. This angst and this desire for women to lead men because they are men is part of, I mean, the, the fallout from original sin. It's always been this way. In 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus, we see this clear direction. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it's explicitly stated that in the context of the church, Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, forbid a woman from being an authority over a man. Do I believe that that applies to the context of the secular world? I don't. But in the context of the church, I do. This is consistent with what Isaiah is prophesying as well. Women ruling over them means that things are in dire straits. Yes, the view that I hold to is referred to as complementarianism. I call it being biblical. In the biblical view, men are called to lead. And in the egalitarian view, a nomenclature to which I object, by the way, because obviously I believe that women and men are equal. The Bible says that they are. They are co-heirs with Christ. 
But within the biblical uh, within the biblical interpretation, a misinterpretation known as egalitarianism, the thought is, yeah, but what about Deborah, one of the judges, a female, called to rule by God? Deborah is the biggest complementarian in the history of the universe. She spoke to Barak, who was actually the one with titular authority, refusing to go into battle as God had called him unless Deborah did it. Deborah said, okay, I'll do it, but it'll be to your shame that a woman had to do your job for you. Okay, do you see, like, Deborah's more complementarian than I am. It's got to be the worst imaginable example in the world to point to Deborah and say, yeah, but what about Deborah and her authority? The book of Judges was written to the people of Israel in a time when every man did what was right in his own eyes. And as a result, the book of Judges is the grossest book of the whole Bible. You had the birth of Israel miraculously from among the slaves of Israel, the Passover foreshadowing the gospel so obviously and clearly, the Exodus, and they're ruled by God uh, and his 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 representative Moses, and then Joshua inherits the torch, and then they take the land of Canaan. And man, things are great in the book of Joshua, but then there's no clear successor to Joshua, really. And then go to this time period where every man does what is right in his own eyes. And so the judges are called up, all right? Jer and Samson, who was an idiot, but still used by God against his own, <laughs> without him even realizing it. All right, uh, Samuel arguably is like the final judge and the first prophet. That's when things finally start to get better, but it does give way to the monarchical days of Israel. But during the book of Judges, when Deborah ruled, it was kind of like Isaiah 3. People had defied God. They were being flamboyant with their sin. And historically, every time that's happened, a culture that does that has incurred wrath from God. So don't get too hung up on the fact that verse 12 says that women rule over them, right? Rather, zoom in on the intent of the passage that when you proudly defy God, this is what happens. Verses 16 through the end call out the women of Israel uh, for wearing ankle bracelets and headbands, perhaps imitating some of the pagan practices of their day, uh, for them to have their heads shaved, as is referred to a couple of times in this text, also gives us some context for 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that will refer to the, how shameful it is to have her head shaved. Uh, you're seeing them prancing along, jingling their, uh, their ankle bracelets, and how uh, their perfume's going to stink, and their belts are going to be replaced with ropes. Their beautifully styled hair is going to become baldness. Their fine clothes sackcloth their beauty with branding. All right, he is humbling the proud women of a defiant and godless Israel. All right, they're acting like they're godless. They're really disobeying God. The men are going to fall by the sword. The gates will lament and, and, uh, and mourn. Deserted, she will sit on the ground. The opening half, the first half of Isaiah is, is like this a lot, but you always see this glimmer of hope even among these proclamations, uh, even of the, among these proclamations of wrath. That was the case with the flood. That's the case with Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the case with Isaiah chapter 3. And I saw it go by real quick. I don't know if you did in verse 10. Tell the righteous that it will go well for them, for they will eat the fruit of their labor. Even among all of this just proclamation of God's righteous discipline of His people is this promise to the righteous and what they will receive 
is the fruit of their labor. Now that tells you that in this context, if you are laboring and other people are eating the fruits of it, socialism, communist dictatorships, then you're not being blessed by God. But in this context, even as God is pouring out his wrath on his own people, his discipline rather on his own people, even in this context, those who are righteous, they get to eat the fruits of their labor.